The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Hi, everybody. Coming up, Nicole tells your fortune. Looking ahead. So get out your crystal and stay tuned with Mistress Nicole. All dressed in leather, you won't forget her. You want to love her and you won't let go. Who's that woman, crazy woman, Nicole? Howdy, folks. Mangy Fedlock's here. Trump is pleading that he had the right to break the law at will for democracy. I think this is a very bitter pill since we have these checks and balances which Trump chose to ignore in ways no president had ever thought to try before. So to argue that no president before has been indicted make it idiotic. Followers revved up and quite excited. But for every legal circumstance there has to be a first and with Trump that was inevitable since Donald is the worst. So his sycophants should save their breath with claims he's persecuted since Trump's guilt by even Trump himself is not being disputed. <laughs> you gotta be pretty damn guilty to realize that your only uh, hope is to go, well, I uh, I was allowed to be uh, breaking the law. It was my right. Yeah. Nice try. Nice try. Thanks for listening. Mangy Fetlocks, everybody, also known as our friend Bruce W. Nelson, who puts out a song a day. The man is prolific. And for that, we're grateful because it's always timely and topical. And I like to start off the show with a bit of a laugh because uh, we don't laugh enough. <laughs> and there, you know, I, a good reason for it these days, and hopefully things will get better, but um, we got to take the laughs where we can get them. You know, smell the roses, enjoy the sunshine. Um, yeah. So uh, we have a, 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 a fascinating show for you today, I think. I, I'm looking forward to it. I think you will also um, be really appreciative when you meet our guest. Now, chances are you may have met her before because Dana Steele has been on this program before, but it, it's been a while. It's been about four years, I think. And when she was first here, um, it was actually the first time we met, which is weird because we are the same age. We grew up in the same business. Yeah, she's another radio person. And, you know, there are quite a few of us, but it's it's actually a pretty small industry. So, um, and it's kind of incestuous and we all know each other. But I actually met Dana Steele through Howie Klein. Howie Klein, who is usually here with us on Fridays. Now, he's uh, still enjoying his holiday time off. Howie will be back next week on this program. But today, filling his slot will be Dana Steele. And when, when Howie first introduced us four years ago, Dana had thrown her hat in the ring to run for Congress from Houston, from I think it was the 36th district of Texas. Now, not a very blue area. And actually, Dana came out of um, a, 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 a two-decade-long run at Houston's rock station, KLOL. 
So anybody uh, from the Houston area I, probably knows Dana Steele. And uh, look, when you're on the radio, when you're playing music on the radio, unlike, you know, doing talk radio, um, you don't talk politics. So I'm sure many of her listeners had no idea what her politics were. And she dealt with that. Can you imagine in Texas, in the heart of Texas, um, going out and running for Congress after you've built a following for 20 years on the radio and you have some pretty diehard Republicans out there? We'll ask her about that. Well, I was surprised on, you know, I follow her on social media. She's at Dana Steele, D-A-Y-N-A-S-T-E-E-L-E on, you know, pretty much everywhere, Uh, to see, uh, it was last week or the week before, she said that um, because she was not challenged in the primary for the Democratic nomination for Congress from her district in Houston again, uh, Texas 36, that she was the nominee because she ran unopposed. But she said she's doing it differently this time. She's not raising money. Um... So we'll we'll find out. In fact, the exact quote that she has up on her website, which leads to other places that we will talk about, says, if you're looking for the Dana for Congress website, there isn't one. I'm doing this my way this time, not asking for money, no wasting money. All I want from you is your vote. And if you can't vote for me, find someone in my district who can and ask them to vote for me. So um, there's so much more to Dana Steele. And look, we're, uh, I said, we're the same age. And I know many of my listeners, you guys, a lot of us are around the same age. And um, if you're lucky enough to still have parents alive, chances are you're dealing with um, illness and caretaking and caregiving and dealing with uh, things that we hope never to have to deal with. And Dana has taken the proverbial lemons and turned them into lemonades and lemonade. And I'll, I'll leave it at that because she's going to join us in just a couple of minutes. I, I said, come on, you know, jump into the Zoom room at like a quarter after to give me a chance to get the show up and running. Talk about any news, if there is any news that needs to be talked about. And sure enough... You know, well, it's January 4th, so uh, according to my calendar, we're overdue for a school shooting. So, in comes Iowa. A a 17-year-old senior at Perry High School in Iowa figured it was his turn, I guess. Or, you know, I've stopped trying to understand why anyone would would take a gun and shoot other people, um, whether it's in a school, in a workplace, at a at a at a Walmart, at a you name it, anywhere, a concert. Um, but it keeps happening. This time it was a 17-year-old gunman who is no more, from what we know. Um, he murdered a sixth grader. I don't know what school the shooting was at. I actually saw a little bit of the coverage this morning, the first press conference from the police where they basically said nothing. All they said was, all we can tell you is that there's no longer a threat. 
there's no longer any worries that you can go about your business. So obviously we knew the shooter was dead, but they, they didn't tell us any victims. Well, now we know. Um, a sixth grader. You know, as a parent, and, and I'm so glad that my kid is done with school. She's out of school. She's long out of school. Um, because, I, boy, I remember when she was in school and every time you'd hear, look, th- those, those fears never go away. I saw a post on social media and I still get stuff from Florida that there was a big car crash that was just up the street from where she lives. And, of course, I'm thinking, she's fine. Don't pick up the phone. You know she's fine. But parents sending their kids to school, that used to be the safest, you know, you know they're safe. They're at school. Well, you don't know they're safe anymore. When I was a kid, we had fire drills. We had fire drills. We, you know, the the alarm would go off and we'd orderly have to line up and go out. They do active shooter. And before I was born, before I was old enough to go to school, you know, they did, um, you know, hide under your desk drills, I guess, to protect from nukes. Like if we were going to be bombed, hiding under your desk would have done anything. But that's what the kids before me learned. The kids after me, well, they do active shooter drills. Every kid in school from kindergarten on um, is trained on how to hide and stay safe if somebody comes into your school with a gun. Now, I guess, you know, some people are, are breathing a sigh of relief. It was just one killed, one sixth grader. That's 11 years old. Um, five others injured. Now, I don't know what kind of a gun this 17-year-old, now defunct student had. But the gun of choice among these people is the AR-15 or something similar, which are killing machines, which serve no other purpose than to not just kill whatever is being shot at, but to completely destroy them. And so the the people who use hunting as an excuse, oh, I like to hunt. First of all, it's not a fair fight. Give the the animal, which ostensibly is what you're hunting, um, a fair shot at surviving. But when it's used on a human being, the damage done, well, you saw it. You, hopefully you saw the thing at the Washington Post that showed the anatomy of an AR-15 bullet as it hit the body and what it does. So when we talk about five injured, you know, they, they, the media never follows up with the people who were injured in these mass shootings. And may I suggest that some intrepid journalists out there do this. Now, I would guess it would be difficult to find somebody who is a victim of one of these mass shootings who's been maimed for life. Because if you had an a-, a bullet from an AR-15 ripped through your body, chances are your body will not heal. It will never get to the point it was at before you were hit by this bullet that never should have been shot at you in the first place. 
The damage done is so extensive that these people who are the injured, they don't get their lives back. And I, th- this is what, you know, in the after, yeah, we hear about the dead people and, the, and we see their families that go on. Um, I, I see the parents of the Sandy Hook kids constantly in PSAs or they pop up on videos and they will live with that. I want to see, and I don't know that there were any survivors at Sandy Hook, but I know there were in Parkland, again, my old neighborhood, Kids who survived the shootings were hurt so horrifically that their lives will never return to normal. Their physical beings, they're they're never healed from that. Some of the wounds may heal. Some of the physical wounds may heal. Make no mistake, though, if you're hit with an AR-15 bullet, you're not healing physically and certainly not mentally. So uh, here we are, four days into a new year, a school shooting, a sixth grader killed, the 17-year-old shooter dead. When will it end? You know, this was in Iowa. The Iowa caucuses are in two weeks. There won't be a a Democratic caucus because, you know, why? But do you think any of these Republican candidates will talk about this? Well, of course not. Should they? <laughs> Damn straight they should. I, I'm just, I'm so sick of having to talk, to recount this story again and again and again. And here we are, the fourth day of the new year. And here we go again. America, do something already. I know that's kind of a silly statement because I thought if ever anything was going to get done, it would have been after Sandy Hook, where 20 first graders were murdered, were everything destroyed, and nothing. That was five years ago. Oh, I'm sorry, that was, that was 11 years ago already. It's been five years since Parkland, my old neighborhood. Nothing. We do nothing. And today, another school shooting in Iowa. Oh, only one dead, five injured. Keep those five injured in your mind, because I promise you, their lives will never be the same. And, and when does the madness end? <sighs> well, you know, I wanted to get some of the news out of the way before I brought on our guest. And I, I feel like I need a palate cleanser here. Like I wish I'd have a, a, a jingle or a song or I don't play commercials. So um, we're just going to do an uncomfortable segue <laughs> because, um, all right, try to leave that behind. We, we deal with reality here. And that's one of the sad realities of life. Uh, I was going to say in the 21st century, but it was in the last one as well. We got to do something. Um, somebody who's, uh, I, I, I'm amazed that Dana Steele does not have a solution for our gun problems because she seems to have a handle on everything else in the world. But I'm thrilled to welcome Dana Steele back to the show. Uh, hey, Dana, th- sorry about that oh, intro. No friggin' pressure there to start <laughs> off an interview. Then, I, then I'll solve the bo- the border in the next Please. five minutes. How's okay, that? well, you're, you are in Texas after all. You and Ted Cruz, you know. <laughs> One more to oh, me. please. Oh, my God. You know, one day, when I, the last time I ran for Congress, 
um, there was a pretty conservative talk show here in town that was on the the, the radio station owned by Dan Patrick. Uh, but they were longtime fans, teenage, you know, they used to be teenage boys who listened to me on the radio. So they they invited me to, to do a show. So once a week I would go on as the liberal you gotta love. And we would, you know, we would banter and talk and lightly argue. And one day the host said, God, on my way to work today, he said, I took a picture in this person's yard, there was a Ted Cruz sign and a Dana Steele for Congress <laughs> sign in the same yard. Wow. And I went, don't ever mention my name in the same sentence with Ted Cruz. And then they fired me that afternoon from that show. But whatever. Uh, from that show. Now, now you were saying you're saying that about oh Ted my, Cruz, oh who my is God. the most evil man on the planet. Yeah. Oh, well, I, nobody likes Ted Cruz. Nobody. His then, kids don't even like him. How does he keep getting reelected then? Money, money, uh, you know, what, what are elections all about? Greed and money and I don't know. I don't know. Well, He's a horrible person. He is a horrible person. And uh, okay, we'll, we'll get there. We're going to get to politics. There's so much to talk with Dana Steele about. a happier note. Yeah. Hey. Hey, happy new year. Happy new year. How um, are you? Good. I'm in Arizona now. Got out of Florida. Oh. So there's okay. that. That's, that's um, a little better. <laughs> it is. Well, it is because Arizona is headed in the blue direction where Florida is headed um, down the fascism road or it's there already. Yeah, you have Mark Kelly, one of my favorite people on the planet. I'm I'm headed to Washington, D.C. in about, uh, I guess, four weeks, three weeks to go to his 60th birthday. He and Scott are oh, turning wow. 60. So we're having a twin birthday party. Now, you, you know, you, OK, Mark Kelly, senator from Arizona, now married to Gabby Giffords, former congresswoman. Um, but your connection with him may come through uh, your your other life, as because you are in Houston, where NASA is based. Your husband is in is part of that. I, what I don't even know exactly what he does and what you did for you worked for NASA too, didn't you? Well, I actually I, I sold the T-shirt. I started the first online NASA store called thespacestore.com. I kept thinking somebody's going to do it, somebody's going to do it. Nobody did, so I did it. I uh, I bought eight, I literally bought HTML for dummies, and with some help from a few folks, we built thespacestore.com. Um, so that was, and then I ended up selling it to a NASA contractor, and um, I became. Uh, the president of their division and, and they would have these these senior executive staff meetings I kept getting these SES emails and I would just delete them and finally I said one day to my husband I don't know why I'm getting these he goes because you are senior executive staff you're the president of one of their divisions and I was like oh I went to one meeting it's like this big <laughs> table and it's all these brilliant friggin' people and ast former astronauts and scientists and programmers and uh, the company did resupply missions to the international space station so you can imagine the kind of the level of smarts they're going around the room and everybody's talking about rockets and rocket fuel and and physics and whatever and they get to me and i'm like i sell the t-shirt <laughs> Okay, but and hey, someone's got to do one it. of those meetings. It's like <laughs> I need to go pack those T-shirts and mail them. Um, so that was kind of my involvement. Wonder husband, who I've been married to for thirty-three years, wow. he flew for NASA for thirty years. He trained all the astronauts to land the space shuttle. He was the captain of the seven four seven shuttle carrier. Um, so he flew everything, the T-38s, the Vomit Comet, all of those. And he trained Mark and Scott Kelly how to land the space shuttle. And uh, it's funny, back in the days when they first came to NASA, Mark was the, the happy-go-lucky one and, and, and Scott was the curmudgeon, and they're identical. They mm -hmm. are 
I mean, to this day, if I run into one, I'm like, I just have to wait till they start talking to me. <laughs> um, and the only way I could tell the difference back then is when I'd open the front door, Mark would go, hey, give me a big hug. And Scott would go, hello. <laughs> now they're completely different. It's Senator Mark Kelly. Hello, Dana. It's so good to see you. And, you know, oh. and Scott's like, hey, you ready for a glass of wine? <laughs> so they, they've totally changed. But um yeah, they've they've uh, they've been in our lives. We've been in their lives for a long time. And I remember Mark was one of the first people to call me when I decided to run for Congress in 2018. Uh, and and I believe his exact words were, "Are you out of your effing mind?" <laughs> <laughs> and were yeah, you? But, yes. Yeah. Right. But, but he's like, but we'll, you know, we'll do what we can to support you. So there you go. Great. Now, so this is a good place to start. So Dana Steele and what what prompted me to reach out to you this time was I saw your post on one of the social media sites that you you were uncontested in the primary. You didn't really campaign for it. You didn't do anything, but you didn't have an opponent. And so you're the nominee. So you're running again. Yeah, a couple of weeks before the deadline, uh, I've been on the road for a year. Somebody yes, rented our house with four that. days notice and we went on the road. So the last two months I did four continents in two months. Um, I'm still having a hard time putting words together. Today's a, a good day. Today's a better day than it has been um, with the jet lag and everything. But it was two weeks before the deadline in Texas. And I realized, I don't know who sent it to me or whatever. Maybe I just got curious and I got online and I noticed that Brian Babin, my congressman who I ran against in 2018, was running unopposed again. Mm -hmm. That nobody, There was nobody on the Democratic ticket. And I was like, you know, hell no. I worked entirely too hard six years ago trying to get people registered and get people involved. This son of a bitch who, by the way, texted Mark Meadows 21 times to overturn the election, asked for a pardon, was part of the secret meetings at the White House, and nobody knows who he is. He's flown under the radar. And I thought, you know, I have an idea. So I got together with some folks who are very, very involved um, in in Democratic politics here in my area. And I said, okay, here's the deal. Again, I work too hard. Uh, I'm not going to campaign. It's it's one of the most gerrymandered districts in the country, and I can't win. But what I can do is drive votes against Ted Cruz, and I can drive votes down ballot for Democrats, and I can give people some sort of hope that you know, at least somebody's on the ballot. Come come vote for Dana because you have nothing to better to do that day, and just <laughs> you think it would be fun to vote for Dana. And so I asked this person, will it help or hurt if I put my name on the ballot? Uh, again, with this caveat, I, I'm not raising money. I'm yep. not, I don't want your money. It, um, and she said, oh, yes, it would help. Please. So um, I raised just enough money to get on the ballot. And as long as I don't raise 5000 or spend 5000 I don't have to file any reports. Uh-huh. I don't have to do any of that. I raised a million dollars last time of people's hard-earned money, you know, that you spend on a a team of 26 people and and bumper stickers and te- I'm just, I'm not doing it. I said, I'm gonna do it my way this time. So I don't want your money. I just want your vote. And if you can't vote for me, find somebody in Southeast Texas who can. There. There you go. So that's great because yeah, seeing somebody unopposed on the ballot, it's like real, nobody could step up to at least have a, have someone else to vote for, to vote against that person. So um, you're a trooper, but see, this is, this is you, Dana Steele. And the, when I heard you, your explanations, like, I don't want your money. I don't want, uh, uh, what did you say? I don't want your money. I don't. I just want your vote. Yes. Um, and you said not asking for money, no wasting money. 
um, because so much money is wasted in campaigns and it, it's just, well, it, it, and here's what's going to happen. I mean, again, it's one of the most gerrymandered districts in the, in the country. So, uh, you know, unless pigs literally start flying across Texas, there's no way I'm going to win. However, if I start to make any sort of, if I start to get any sort of attention and I plan to do this with just social media, free social media and free press, mm-hmm. the media wants to come interview me. Hey, here I am. Uh, I know how to work a camera. Hey, um, but if I do start to get some attention, if I do start to make any sort of traction, I'm going to piss off Democrats too, because politics are a huge business. They're a big money-making business. And I'm not, you know, again, I'm not spending money on supplies. I'm not spending money on team. I'm not renting a place. and advertising and all that stuff. $6,000 a month consultants. And, and, and anyway, I had the best political consultant in the entire universe, Walter Ludwig, who died earlier this year, uh, in in 2023. And so since I can't have Walter, I'll just do it myself. And I know he's looking down going, oh my God, what is she doing? (laughs) Uh, Does Howie know you're, you're, you're the candidate? Yes, one of the first texts I got, I think I was in Bangkok, you know, so I I haven't answered anybody's text or anything yet except yours. But it was like, I just got a text from Howie that said, call me. (laughs) So I knew he he saw one of my my posts or something. But yeah, so I'm just, you know, every time I see my congressman, Brian Babin, post something, it's a lie. It's a lie. It's fear mongering. It's. You know, it's the latest Republican talking points that we're letting everybody across the border so they can vote. No, yeah. they can't That's vote. Right. And and we're not letting everybody across the border. And I love, oh, my God, I love this photo op of the 60 congressmen that went with uh, the speaker yesterday to Eagle Pass, Texas. And there was nobody there. They're like, well, they diverted them. <laughs> no, there's nobody there right now. It's, yeah, they've, I mean, they've it's gotten through the people that were there and they processed them. And, yeah. So much for I the saw caravans. another great video. There's there's several golf courses along the Texas border. There's even one golf course where the 18th hole is in Mexico. You literally <laughs> just drive over and play and you drive back. Uh, but this was a golf course. I think it must have been near Eagle Pass. And, and, there, and there were a couple of hundred um, migrants standing on the other side of the fence. And... They were like grading people. They were like, oh, or, oh, that was a, so, you know, and everybody's like, hey, everybody was just getting along. Nobody was killing anybody. Nobody was, you know, oh, the fear mongering and the lying. I just, and I, and I say I'm not going to campaign, but, you know, everyone's, I, I am going to get pissy on, on X or Twitter for the next, shitter. for as long as it's, it's around. We call it shitter. You know, X I yeah. is she, so it's shitter. Um, yeah, and, and, <laughs> it's the only way to rationalize being there is, you know, saying instead of I, I tweeted, I shat. Or I shat. What, I oh, shat. Well, we need to do that. Yeah. Yes. So Dana Steele is with us. Okay, so you're running for Congress. And, and if by some miracle... Um, you know, the gerrymandering doesn't work and Brian Babbitt gets caught up in his lies and and you win, you would serve and you'd do a great job of it, yes? That question just surprises me every time somebody goes, but what if you win? I mean, if you know anything about me, I have an incredible work ethic yes, you to the point my poor husband is like, we are not retiring anytime soon. Are we? <laughs> I just, 
I'm I'm extremely organized. I'm extremely driven. I'm extremely passionate. I'm honest. I mean what I say. Sometimes I say too much. But yeah, if I win, I'll go to work. It's what you do. And you know right. what I do? I'm going to do when I win and I go to work. I'm not going to go across the street and sit in a cubicle and raise money. I'm no. just not. Right. So you better have another Democrat lined up for two years from now. Um, I'm, I'm going to go to work. The whole point of Congress, if you go back and you look at the history of Congress and you read what Congress is for, Congress is to take care of the constituents. Mm-hmm. Constituent services, every single, I was listening to Morning Joe one time, and whether you like him or not, he said, when I was a congressman, and I know he says that a lot, but this one particular day, he said, when I was a congressman, the very first thing we did every day was sit down and have a staff meeting and talk about what constituent services we needed to take care of that day, instead of who do we need to bash on Twitter and who do we need to, and that's it. You know, I tell people all the time, whether you love or hate Sheila Jackson Lee, she took care of the people in her district. Mm -hmm. She always did. And she fought for them. And that's what a congressional representative is supposed to do. We have nine counties in my district. I think four don't have hospitals. We no hospital. You yeah. don't want to. You don't want to. If you have a, a, a pregnancy complication, well, or a, get the or hell out of Texas. You know, if, attack, if you can't get to a hospital, um, we have massive poverty. We have uh, some of the worst Superfund sites. Mm. So we have the highest infant and 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 maternal mortality rate. We have one of the highest rates of birth defects because of these super fun sites. And nobody talks about any of this. And he's certainly, Brian Babin's certainly not doing anything about it. He's just talking about the woke agenda and they're trying his latest one of his oh, latest please. tweets, they are trying to take our gas stoves away. No, we're not. <laughs> You know, it, it 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 would be funny if it weren't so sad. If the ramifications weren't so serious, but it's this, terrifying. It's, it it's is terrifying. terrifying. It is. Um, so I, I had to throw that out there because I know that you are doing a million other things, but that's that's you. So let's for for those who don't know Dana Steele, let's back up a bit. When you were very young, you got a taste of radio and you were hooked. Hello. Um, and you spent 20 years doing middays at KLOL in Houston, yeah? Yep, doing rock radio. And uh, in fact, I'm going back on the radio um, um, in the next week. Do, where what? Huh? It's, it's called HoustonRadioPlatinum.com. It's a very low wattage station that somebody took over north of Houston. Um, but it's online, which means you can listen to me anywhere in the world. Yeah. Um, if you have uh, Alexa, you can download. You know, I guess you go to the skills. You can add the, the the Houston Radio Platinum skill to Alexa, so you can, you know, tell her to play Houston Radio Platinum. And so I'm going to do middays, ten to two, Monday through Friday. Um, the 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 principals involved with the radio station have been extremely supportive and invested in my play called well, The Woman in the Mirror. We're going to talk about it in a moment, yes. Actor and playwright as well. So um, this is my give back to them, to thank them for their support. And you can do radio anywhere in the world with, yes, a, with a computer and an internet signal. So there you go. Wow. Okay. Well, that's something we'll we'll, we'll talk about oh, more. Yeah. So, so yes, I used to be cool, though. I used to get <laughs> stay up past nine o'clock at night. Well, didn't we all? You know, and then you get older. But so, you know, as radio tends to do, the one day they said, okay, thanks, 
We'll see you. And, yeah. and so you, you just kept going. You, you are an author. How many books have you authored? 17th one came out, um, January 1st. Wow. 17 <laughs> books. You're a, a motivational speaker. You do, you're, you're a public speaker. You do keynote addresses. You what part of one, some of your books came under the heading of 101 ways to rock your world. It's it, that's why the, today's show is called 101 ways to rock life with Dana Steele. So I, I stole it. I like bit. that. I um, like, it was kind of like, I tell people it's like the four dummies series. So there's a right. hundred, the two, the two newest ones for the new year, for the new you, 101 ways to rock change, pivoting, um, a successful pivot from, uh, going from like an executive in a company to an entrepreneur changing careers. And then the other one um, is a book that we've tried to write ever since we started writing it before COVID. And then all the different strains of COVID, you know, we're back. We're not, we're back. We're You're not, we're, we're talking to each other. We're not. Uh, and it, but it's out now, 101 ways to rock networking. So networking and change a great thing, you know, get both of them and, um, Go be successful. Definitely. And there's also 101 ways to run for office. Yes. Yeah. I wrote that with my, uh, my, you know, the, the person that's always with you, the, you know, the person that carries the queen's purse, the person that would come up to me when I was talking to somebody and go, show me your face. Cause they needed to unlock <laughs> my phone. Uh, my body man, Scott Schroeder, who was with me on the, on the campaign trail for two years, 24 wow. seven, uh, a young guy, but a guy who's absolutely addicted to politics. And, and he and I wrote that book. It is a very basic primer um, if you're a seasoned politician, you'll just go, you'll poo poo it. You'll go, oh, this is stupid. But if you're, you know, if you're a, a little rock DJ like me or um, a mom who's trying to figure out if she should get on school board mm -hmm. or a dad wondering if he should run for city council, yes, 101 ways to run rock running for office. Pick it up and it tells you how to start and what to do and who to call and where to look things up. And they're all available, you know, Amazon or wherever. But this it's great advice. we got a lot of people listening who are around our age who might have now time on their hands who, you know, have thought about it and said, well, I can't do it. Pick up the book and see because maybe you can. But I'm a rock and roll DJ. Right. You know, people came to me and said, you know, you could do it. I'm like, are you out of your <laughs> mind? I'm a rock and roll DJ. I didn't graduate from college. I posed nude for the cover of a magazine. I did drugs and I slept with rock stars. Hello. And they all looked at me and went, yeah, but we all know that. <laughs> so have you written, okay. have you written okay, a rock, rock jock tell all book about doing drugs and sleeping with rock stars? Yeah, so I have no secrets. I, you know, so, you know, there you go. So now I want to talk about what you, so you just came off the road, uh, not not with a band or anything, but with your husband. You had a, a, an, a journey for the last month. It was hashtag one planet, one year. And you really did. You traveled all over for a year. Was, was, you said it happened very quickly. You rented out your house and you left. Was, was this not planned? No, it was not planned at all. Now we don't have a lot of stuff. We got when we sold the family home, we pretty much gave the the, the sons what they wanted and the rest to family and other people and um, moved into a much smaller house. So we don't have we're not stuff people. We don't we got rid of all the stuff. But these we had four days notice, um, and they rented it as is. So we put up a few you know 
personal picture, you know, the personal pictures in my, our parents' ashes, you know, that are in artwork, those went locked in a closet and we loaded up the bikes and the golf clubs and, um, a big suitcase with extra clothes and things. And, uh, it was a year ago, January, the January, the 17th, I think it was, we backed out of the driveway and just started driving some of its planned, Some of it's not, some of it was work. Some of it wasn't but we put 50,000 miles on the Ford Flex. We call her Betty Ford. Where are you going? We're in <laughs> Betty Ford. Um, so we put about 50,000 miles on her, driving her coast to coast, up, down, back, forth, walked the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, drove the PCH, saw the world's biggest pencil. Um, <laughs> I finally saw Mount Rushmore. Wow. You know, well. Got out of the car, looked at it, went, yep, there it is. Got back in the car. <laughs> Keep going. Um, Went over to Crazy Horse and paid the money to go up to the the construction site there. Niagara Falls, um, you know, I've never been to Canada, so drove across the border, went to Canada. Um, so a lot of things like that. And we've been, we spent two weeks in Japan. We spent two months in Europe. We did uh, Amsterdam, Spain, the UK, and France. We did a cruise, Paris to Normandy and back. Um, that was really touching. Um, we did, where else do we, I see, I can't, I can't even remember all of it. And we just got back from two months. We did South America, Antarctica, South Africa, and Asia. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, so the time zone in our brains are still a little, we slept till five this morning. Um, and that's the latest we've been able to sleep so far. So. I got well. Thank you for coming on today. I know that that you've been in a whirlwind, and the whirlwind continues because in the midst of all this, you let. Well, we should back up a few years. Your mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Yeah, and that opened a whole new chapter of your life. That it was nothing you asked for, but it's something that you're presented with, and it's like, okay, well, I guess this is what I deal with for the next however long. Um, and you did, you, you, you turned to friends and then you wound up turning to Facebook after you got this diagnosis on your mom to figure out how to deal with it. And you share what you've learned with everyone. First, you did it in a book, uh, that, that came out of the Facebook posts and everything. Um, that became a, a play that's been in the works and now a podcast. So, and the play will have a run it, its first real run in March in Palm Springs? Well, we did a premiere. We did 10 nights in uh, November of 21 in Houston when we all thought COVID was over. Surprise. Um, so yes, this will be the, the the California premiere of The Woman in the Mirror. Uh, it's running March the 8th through the 31st at the brand new Revolution Stage Company in Palm Springs. And I'm just in incredibly excited. I've got a woman director, Laura Stearns, who's amazing. And it looks like we've just signed with a theater for the month of um, September in Sacramento. Oh, nice! Uh, and, we, and we've got we've got somebody from Scottsdale, an artistic director, coming to see it in March to see about bringing it to your area. Nice. And then I've got some people in Naples, Florida, who are trying to get us to bring it there. So we just have to to find a theater. So it's um, and it's important people know it's a comedy. Which people go, what? Uh, excuse me, a comedy about Alzheimer's? Well, my tagline is, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Um, so it is. And my mother was a very funny human being, a very loving, a very outgoing. I've definitely come by this too much energy. Um, 
and, and can talk to anybody from her. I come by it honestly. And um, it is, it's a love letter to caregivers. It's, it's, it's um, a very personal uh, theatrical play, but to let caregivers know you're not alone. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to cry. It's okay to throw things. It's okay to say the F word and it's okay to drink wine and because you, everybody's journey is different. Well, in fact, the book, the, the book came first and the book, well, after the Facebook stuff and your journey to dealing with learning how to be yeah. your mother's caretaker, uh, caregiver, surviving Alzheimer's with friends, Facebook, and a really big glass of wine. That turned into then the Surviving Alzheimer's podcast, which you've got up and running. Um, right. And, and then in the midst of all this, you decided, I'll, I'll make this into a play. How did how did that happen? You know, I had lunch with uh, a friend of mine in Houston wrote one of my favorite plays of all time. It's called Becoming Patsy Cline. So if you ever get a chance to see it, I just I love his play. And we went to lunch and he brought a friend with him, a young female director in Houston, um, and I mentioned to her, you know, I, I, I think this book is a, I don't know if it's a one woman show, if it's a speech, it's a play, but I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. I think it could be a play. And she went, that's nice. <laughs> Cause I think they hear that uh, from everybody. Right, of course. But, but I did what I always do. I, I, I wrote her a handwritten note. It was really nice to meet you. Here's the book we were talking about. Um, and if you don't need it, feel free to pass it on. Somebody always knows somebody who needs it. Mm -hmm. And about three weeks later, I never heard, you know, I didn't hear back from her. And about three weeks later, she uh, emailed me and she said, hey, I have a first draft. This is wonderful. So she actually took it. And then the two of us sat down. Um, since that time, she's moved on. And I've I've learned, right, you know, at some point, the title of a book becomes the effing book because you're so tired of it. Now I've learned writing a play is just rewriting. It's been rewritten 63 times. Wow. You know, and some of them are just short little tweaks, but it's. It's constantly, um, it, it's a work in progress, uh, but now we're ready to stage it for real, real, real this time. Um, and that's kind of where it came from. Uh, we tried to stage it and then the, the pandemic happened, lockdown happened. So we went ahead with the table reads, but we filmed all the table reads and put them on Zoom. Yep. And that helped us find, you know, continuity issues, things that people didn't understand, people had questions, things that didn't work, things that did work. And um, it's just really grown from there. And the, the really special thing, I, I, I'm fortunate I have a manager now in New York, a management company that's overseeing this production. And I had lunch with my manager, Alex, a few months ago before we left for the rest of our journey. And he made me cry because he looked at me, Nicole, and he said, I can't wait to see Fran again. And that was my mother. And of right. course, I play myself and I play her. Oh. And it just, it tears me up because it does. It brings her back to life so much that I almost called her a couple of nights from the dressing room to let her know how well received it was. And of course, she'd been gone for years. Right. So um, I was really scared to be in the play, because A, I'm not an actress, I am now. Um, and, I, and, and B, I was scared to relive my mom's death eight times a week. Yeah. And it did just the opposite. It brings her to life. People fall in love with her. They laugh at her. They remember things. I, I, I won't give away the story, but people all over the world constantly text me pictures of peanut M&Ms because it's a 
it's an ongoing gag. My mom loved peanut M&M's. So I keep getting all I'm like, stop, I get it. <laughs> you know, I, I was listening to some of your podcasts and some of the table reads that are up on YouTube. And it's fascinating seeing you and the director and the stage manager going through it. And I, and I watched most of the first episode meeting Fran. And you talked about how when she was first diagnosed and you, you had noticed that in her house, she had post-it notes everywhere. And in fact, oh, yeah. the, on the, the, the graphics for the play, it's a woman in the mirror and it's, it's on a post-it note. Um, now I know where that came from, but so when you got the diagnosis, it put it all into, it all made sense. It's like, oh my God, that's what the notes were for. No, it wasn't even then. It was just, uh, you know, nothing makes sense. But it was when we started to move her. Oh. And I found even more notes because we're we're note takers. I have post-it notes <laughs> everywhere. And, you know, and um, we're list makers and note makers. And, and, and uh, but this was odd. I, we were finding things like complete conversations. If Dana says this, you say this. And there was a note on the microwave that said popcorn, which we just figured was a grocery list. And it was only after we moved her that I started to realize, oh my God, that's what all the post-its were for. She, when, when the doctors told me she's probably hidden it, she's so well into the stages by the time we got her diagnosed. They said she's probably hidden it for five to seven years. <gasps> At that point, I went, oh my God, that's what the post-it notes were. They were her brain. And when we moved her, I gathered them all up and threw her brain away. Um, and so it felt like Alzheimer's went into, you know, kicked into overdrive. Uh, it didn't, we just, she was already there, but she had learned to create crutches for herself mm -hmm. to hide it. Did she uh, know, did she know what was going on and consciously hide it from you? Or was she like just embarrassed and you don't that's know. That's a line at the end of the play. Oh. Did she know? Wow. What did I miss? Wow. You know. Um, you know, cause there were notes on everything like, you know, th this was your grandmother's antique side table. If you don't want it, give it to your brother. If he doesn't want it, give it to your cousin Kay. Cause she oh. knows I hate stuff and I'll, <laughs> I'll give everything away. Here we're taking, it's all yours. Um, I don't know. I don't know. And you know, uh, was it, was it the first time she screwed up the recipe and we got the family recipe for what we lovingly call mistake brownies where she put <laughs> a cup of K-Rose syrup instead of a, a tablespoon and then forgot about them in a car for two hours. Well, now the recipe reads last step, leave in a hot car for two hours. <laughs> um, or was it when she, you know, when she forgot the name of my best friend, my maid of honor, or, you know, I was like, Oh, she's just getting old. You know, I think a perfect example is I got a note yesterday from a friend um, who's married to somebody I've known in the music business since I was 18 years old. And I'm not going to say the name because I don't know how many people they've told, but she sent me an email to tell me he is into the stages of Louis body dementia, oh, which is a very horrible. That's horrible, what got Robin Williams. Horrible dementia. Horrible. Yeah. Um, it, it includes bad hallucinations and he's into those now. Oh. And, um, you know, we saw him a year and a half ago, played golf, spent two nights with them. And I saw it there. I mean, I thought, hmm, something's not right. And then my husband played golf with him a year ago, right before we left. And he came back and said, it's worse. But how do you, how do you say to somebody, oh, by the way, I think your husband has 
Alzheimer's or right. a, a form of dementia. And even then, I didn't want to believe it about this person. I was like, no, you know what? He's just getting old. He loves to tell those old, you know, rock and roll stories a lot. And um, sure enough, when I saw her her email and the subject line with his name, I was like, I didn't even open it for an hour because oh. I knew what it was going to be. And I did not want to read, did not want to read it. So we all do that. We all, I, uh, my brother-in-law, who's a leading neurologist and Alzheimer's researcher, hello, tried to tell me something was wrong. And I was like, no, no. But then when we tried to tell him something was wrong with their mom, my mother-in-law, he was like, no, she's fine. We all do. Because you're too close, right? You're too close to them and you, you don't want to believe the worst. And right. And we also know that if we acknowledge it, it's like there's another line we use a lot in the play because it's something Charlie used to always tell the boys. And that is uh, if you admit there's a problem, then you have to be a part of the solution. Mm. So a lot of us, I know in my case, I probably saw it, but I knew once I acknowledged it and vocalized it, it was going to be up to me to solve it. And I wasn't ready to give every, and she was, she was safe. She was not in any danger. Um, but I finally, you know, at, at some point after some actions knew, okay, I can't just pretend like she's just dingy. I can't, I, it's something. Right. And, oh, and, but all of us do that as humans. It's like, we don't want to see it first of all, cause it's sad, but more than that. And most people won't admit this we don't want to see it because we don't want to have to do the work that's going to be involved. And, and it's it is work, right? So Dana, Dana Steele is with us. She's, uh, if you're just joining us, a uh, big time disc jockey in Houston for her young life, went on to be an entrepreneur and an author and a speaker and a, a motivator and, and now is embarking on this journey with a deal from dealing with her mother's Alzheimer's uh, a book and a podcast and a play um, that again will be in, in Palm Springs in March and then mm-hmm. other places down the road. But I, I'm guessing that you, you turn to the book and, and the podcast. I know the podcast is you talking with people about their stories. And I look up at the chat room. If you see me glancing up here every now and then is because that's the YouTube chat room. And I can't tell you how many people, oh, my mom had Alzheimer's. I had to take care of her. This is, as we get older, this is something that happens to so many, if not us personally, many of our friends and contemporaries. The whole Facebook journey started because my mom had a million friends. And after I told the, the, you know, the closest relatives family, I just couldn't say it again. I couldn't say it again. I thought, oh, I hope I, you know, I hope I don't piss off her friends, but at least they'll let each other know. And so I posted on Facebook. My mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's today. And the next morning I got up and I had hundreds Mm. of responses from friends, family, strangers, everybody going, oh, my aunt, my uncle, my mom, my dad, my husband, my wife. I was like, you know what? Nobody talks about this. And when I needed information, when I needed a shoulder to cry on, when I needed, you know, I just laughed at my mom, what's wrong with me? 
I found this incredible therapy and community on Facebook. So you cannot do this alone. Absolutely. You know, maybe you're not as no filter like me, but you're going to find a therapy group at a community center or your church or your synagogue or your temple or your mosque. You're going to find one at a hospital nearby. Don't try to do this alone. Um, And every time I think, okay, I cannot be the caregiver crusader anymore. I need to pass this on to somebody else. I get a letter or a note from somebody going, thank you, or what do I do? Or here's what's happening. So uh, somebody asked me the other day, what's your goal with all of this? Cause you don't make any money at right. all. Somebody said, I can't believe you're making so much money off your mom's death. I'm like, oh. <laughs> no, there's not, you know, you don't make a money. You don't make money off a book or a play. So take my word for it. Um, I want just so you don't make money doing radio either, unless you're like the big morning star. I'm not just so you know, right now, but I am having a great time doing all of it running for Congress, you know, do it a plight, nothing pays. Um, I keep telling Wonder Husband, maybe something will pay someday. (laughs) Um, but not only is it a love letter to caregivers and to let caregivers know they're not alone, but I hope it's a wake up call to friends and family to please have a plan and my kids will take care of me is not a plan. Yeah. And that's one of the meanest things you can say. My kids will take care of me. No, that's hard. Somebody's going to have to quit their job. Somebody's Mm going to have to quit their career. Somebody's going to have to take time away from their children to take care of you. So please have a plan. And you know, I, I, I gotta, I gotta, that is such great advice. And from reading your blog and looking through your stuff and one thing jumped out at me and it was your, it might've been one of your first episodes of the podcast. It was about long-term care insurance. I had it when I had a job and my employer provided it that it was an option I could buy into for not too, not too much more money than I, what I was paying for, for uh, short-term disability, long-term disability. Um, that's something we need and something to be honest with you that my husband and I haven't even thought about. Well, and I, like, I have a, a, a lot of single friends. I have a single artist friend in Santa Fe and she goes, yeah, but I don't have kids. I've never been married. I don't have family. I don't have long-term care insurance. What am I going to do? I said, you're going to get together with a group of your other artists and you're going to sit down one night with a couple of bottles of wine and you guys are going to knock out a plan. Are you going to get a house together? Are you going to get a four bedroom apartment? Are you going to, you're going to have to find a way to take care of each other, but you've got to have a plan. It's going to take money one way or the other. So you have to to figure out how are you going to do this? Are you going to bring in some college students? Are you going to bring in a young couple that can be a caregiver couple and you give them a free place to stay? You've got to have a plan. It's going to cost you money. If you, if you are fortunate enough to stay with family, and again, my kids are going to take care of me. It's not a plan, right. but if they do, somebody's going to have to quit, which right. means there's going to be less money. So it's going to be around money no matter what. So there is a list of 28 questions on my website. If you, if you go to, you can go to DanaSteel.com, we'll take you there. If you scroll down or click on resources in the top navigation bar, the very first resource is a little post-it note that says the family questions and just click on that. And it's 28 questions that every family should ask each other long before you're diagnosed with anything. If you're in your twenties and, and, and your parents, you know, you have parents, 
next time you go home to visit your parents, Tell take them. that down list of questions with you. It's what are your passwords? Who do you want? Who are your doctors? What are your medications? Where are your bank accounts? Do you have a safety deposit box? If you have an animal, what do you want me to do with your animal? We had the answers to all of this, except if you become incapacitated or you, you're diagnosed with dementia, what do you want me to do? How do you want to live? And I did not have the answer to that question. And you got to ask these questions now. You don't want to wait until somebody right. can't articulate what they want. I mean, <laughs> with my mom, it's like, what do you want us to do with the dog? The dog's going to come live with you. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> and the dog did. Of course. That damn dog lived to be 17 years old. Oh <laughs> but, you know, that it's so important. So even if you're not dealing with a parent with Alzheimer's or dementia or something, we are getting older and we need to f- make those plans so we don't lay it off on our kids. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I read that. It's like, oh my God, I have a whole new thing to obsess over and try to figure out how Sorry. not to make Allison, <laughs> you know, responsible for me when I can't be responsible for myself anymore. And I've told my grown kids and they're all grown now. Um, you know, you need to give me as many answers as you can, as you feel comfortable to, to these questions for you as well. This is not an old people yeah. question anymore. Yeah. This is what happens. If, what if something happens to you in New York City? And my kids have, you know, I have their power of attorney. So, and I have their their medical power of attorney. Right. So if something we, happens, that's something we should all I do. Because right. they're adults. Yes. They're adults. And, and if you have any sort of assets whatsoever, you want a will. So there's a, there's a list of family questions. There's also, then there's another document. It's all the, the documents you need. Um, funeral directives. Oh, yeah, you need yeah, that yeah. in writing now so that families can't fight over you. Right. Wow. You know, this is so important. So again, it's danasteel.com. It will take you to the Surviving Alzheimer's website where you can get information about the book, about the play, about the uh, the Facebook, about the podcast. Go D-A-Y-N-A-S-T-E-E-L-E.com. Of course, I'll post it, but some people just listen and they don't ever go to the website. So I want to make sure they know it. Um, but if you go, there's a donate button and you can donate to my tax deductible grant fund, even $5. And then I can go upstairs and tell Charlie, the wonder husband, I made $5. That that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel you on that one. I'm right there with you. Um, Dana Steele, you know, I, I was so excited when you were coming back and when I told the listeners that you were coming on and I tried to explain this woman is multifaceted. There's so much there. I mean, we, our connection is the radio thing and, oh, yeah. and the same age and going through so many of the same experiences. I didn't have a parent who dealt with dementia. Sadly, I lost my mom really early. So I, you know, when I hear people bitch about dealing with their elderly parents, I say, but you had elderly parents. I, my, yeah. my mom was, I was, it was a week before my 20th birthday when I lost her. And then my dad was pushed in an argument and left him quadriplegic. So his last dozen years of life were horrible. Um, So I know what it is like to have to deal with a parent who was not the person they used to be. He went from being, you know, my rock to being, you know, the parent-child roles 
changed yeah. in, it's, a, it's in a an instant. It's a horrible role reversal. It's horrible. horrible in any situation. Yeah. So, so these are these are the tough things that we don't necessarily think about. And here you are dealing with all this and using it to help other people navigate the same difficulties you went through. Uh, all the while, you know, traveling the planet and uh, mounting a play and everything. Uh, you're my hero. I, I just am so impressed with everything you've done and continue to do. Um, oh, thank you. I've just always had words in me. Yeah. I don't know why, you know, I just got through interviewing Hall of Fame songwriter Holly Knight. Holly's like, she always had, she was just, she was playing piano when she was two, three years mm-hmm. old, just on her knees, on a table, whatever. So she was born with, you know, piano keys in her brain. And I was, I've just always had words. I've always wanted to, you know, even when I was little, I was always writing. I, had, I wrote little newsletters for the school. And That's awesome. You know, I just have too many words I have to get out. Well, and you're using your words for good purpose. Dana Steele, thank you so much. Welcome home. Yeah. Um, maybe this time, you know, we're a little closer. I missed you in Florida, but maybe we'll... Well, maybe I can drive on the way through Arizona (laughs) or maybe we'll take a drive out to Palm Springs in March and come see the show. Yes, please do. That would be wonderful. I'll send you all the information. Please do. We'll talk and and uh, maybe we'll have you back on with Howie to talk politics again when he's back. Um, all right. Thank all right. you. Thank you so much. Dana Steele. Bye. Bye. Thank you again. Uh, Dana Steele. She I, I told you that you would hold on. I got to get rid of the uh, the the um, video echo on the screen. I told you you'd be impressed with her. Amazing. Um, and the, uh, we all the other stuff was to build up to w- her work in um now it's not taking care of our mother. It's it's helping the rest of us navigate what is to come, whether it is a parent with Alzheimer's or it's our own um, years of infirmity, which I'm not looking for. My, my plan, if I'm ever diagnosed with dementia and Alzheimer's, take me somewhere where, you know, um, euthanasia is legal because I don't want to live like that. So... But I guess it's something I have to put in writing. Something to think about. All right. Um, God, we started off on a weird note and end on a weird note. What can I tell you? Welcome to 2024. All right. Uh, Tomorrow's Friday. Marcy Wheeler will be here. Lots of legal maneuverings and uh, troubles for Trump. And that, that that's a good name for a show. Troubles for Trump. All right. With that, we're done. And... Uh, I will see you tomorrow. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. Yes, we deal with the tough topics here. Peace out.